Amen. How many of you out there believe today that our God is an awesome God? Just half of us. All right. It's going to be a little bit of folks in heaven because half of us is believing that God is an awesome God and that he is the great I am. I'm going to try this again. How many of us believe that our God that we serve, that we're singing to collectively our praises is the great I am? All right. That's a little bit better. I want to have some company in heaven. They might have the AC up too high and we need bodies to warm it up. All right. It's a blessing here again to be with you on today. On today, on today, we have something that we don't do. We have something that we don't do very often. And the sermon is going to be focused on a psalm. The sermon is going to be focused on a psalm. And the title of today's sermon is Wanna Be Happy. Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be happy? I hope that some of you want to be happy. I see some sad looking faces. So I hope that you want to be happy. And I want to let you know that you came to the right place. Now, as I'm thinking about this sermon, as I'm preparing throughout the week, the reason for the title is the song, Want to Be Happy. Do y'all know that song by Kirk Franklin? This song by Kirk Franklin, he starts off by saying these words here. He says, the truth can hurt you or the truth can change you. What would truth do to you? I just want to be happy, but if I keep on doing the things that keep on bringing me pain. There's no one else I can blame if I'm not happy. Wasted time, but now I can see. The biggest enemy, it was me, so I'm not happy. Cry yourself to sleep, shout and raise your hands. It won't change a thing, child. You know how we do. Until you understand. And he goes on to say, if you're tired of being the same, if you're tired of things not changing, It's time for you to get out of the way. Don't get stuck in how you feel. Say, Jesus, take the wheel. He knows the road that you need to take, but it only works if you want to be happy. Look at yourself and say, don't you want to be happy? I just want to be happy. We got to ask ourselves seriously the question, do I want to be happy? A lot of us, we don't like feeling down. We don't like feeling depressed. We don't like feeling stuck in the same old same cycle of sin. And you have to ask yourself, do you want to be happy? And if you truly want to be happy, I want you to understand that your happiness is going to lay within your hands. It's your responsibility. And I want you to know that true happiness is not going to happen if you don't hook up with God. There's a lot of things that we can engage in where we, in, we experience temporary happiness. Some of us have seen the, the bottom of those bottles that have that brown stuff in it, right? And we are happy for a little bit. But as soon as we sober up, we're back to being who we were before. Some of us who have spent evenings with people who are not our spouses, and we have a couple of minutes of happiness. But right after, but right after, that happiness is gone. I want you to understand that the happiness that is created by man will not last very long. But the one that God provides for us is a happiness that is eternal. That means it won't end. It will not stop. There will be moments. Understand, there will be moments where things get rough. But I want you to understand that a life lived with God 
It's a Jolly Rancher life. Y'all know what that means? That means it's hard, but it's sweet. It's hard, but it's sweet. And it is worth it. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Psalm. Just just Psalm, the 119th chapter. Psalm 119. That's in the Old Testament. The Old Testament. Now, we look at the psalmist here, and the psalmist, he has decided to write in a beautiful way to describe the work and the instruction and the word of God. What the psalmist does here, wait, my person is skipping ahead here. Go back to, do you want to be happy? You're getting ahead of me there, sister. There we go. What the psalmist is doing here, if you look at Psalm, the 119th chapter, there's 176 verses, right? Now, I have a, a man that's very good with math sitting on the front row, Brother Arnold here. I'm going to give him a moment. You divide that by eight. What do you have? 20-something. 22. There we go. I told y'all he's good with math. He it's quick with it. What the psalmist does here is he creatively writes the word of God. And what he does is much like what Kurt Franklin does. Kurt Franklin, he writes these beautiful songs that have words that rhyme, and he uses tunes that you're familiar with so that you can remember the message of the song. And what the psalmist does in the 119th Psalm is he makes an acrostic. Have y'all heard of an acrostic before? I'll show you in a moment what an acrostic is. Uh, What he does is he uses every letter of the Hebrew alphabet to explain why God's word and God's way is good, right? So the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters, and he uses eight lines per instance to describe what it is that he's talking about. So as we delve into God's word today, I want you to keep in mind that this is something that was intended to be remembered, This is something that, Sister Bond's jumping ahead of me again. This is something that was intended to be remembered, something that was intended to be memorized. So as we read this word of God today, Psalms 119 verses 1 through 8, I want you to understand that this was something that God intended for everybody to remember. Amen? Now, here's the acrostic in Hebrew. Now, what I want you to see is, hand me that pointer there. I meant to bring it up with me. What I want you to see, I know you can't read Hebrew, but these letters right here, this is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, right? Aleph, right? Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and you won't be able to see it in English because it doesn't translate well in English. It doesn't show the beauty of it. But what he does is he creates this masterpiece of words that describes what God's word is. And every eight verses, he changes a letter. Now, let me show you an example of an acrostic. So this acrostic is by Edgar Allan Poe. Have you heard of him before? Raise your hand if you've heard of him. You've heard? Okay, good. Edgar Allan Poe, he writes this acrostic. He says, Elizabeth, it is in vain, you say. Love not, thou sayest it in so sweet a way. In vain those words from thee or L-E-L, Zantip's talents had enforced so well. Ah, if that language from thy heart arise, breathe it less gently forth and veil thine eyes. 
Endymion, recollect when Luna tried to cure his love was cured of all beside. His folly, pride, and passion, for he died. What Edgar Allan Poe does here is he writes this poem about Elizabeth. And what you'll see here is that on every line, it lines up to make something, right? You see the word Elizabeth spelled out here? So what the psalmist is doing in Psalm 119 is he has found a way for us to be able to see this, understand that it is beautiful and how it is written, and also for us to be able to memorize it. So in Hebrew, as they looked at these words in this chapter, in these first eight verses here, people in that time would read this, and they would be able to understand just how important it was to obey the word of God. Let's go to Psalms 119 now, the English version. There we go. All right, so we're going to read the text in its entirety first, and then we're going to see what it is that God has to say to us. The Bible reads, happy are those whose way is blameless. Can we say blameless? Blameless. Who walk in the law of the Lord. Verse number two. Happy are those who keep his decrees, who seek him with their whole heart. Can we say whole heart? heart. I need everybody to say "Whole whole heart. There we go. Verse number three. Who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. Can we say walk? Verse number four, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Can we say precepts? Precepts. Verse five reads, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Can we say statutes? statutes? Verse six says, then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. Can we say shame? Shame. I would have to say that we all in here have felt shame at some point in our lives. Some of us, we don't remember, but as little children, we were okay with running around with our birthday suits. But at a certain point in time, you feel shame of doing that, I would hope. Some of us have felt the shame of sin. And this writer here understands that as well. Verse number seven, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous ordinances. Brother Arnold, he loves this too. Verse number eight, I will observe your statutes Do not utterly forsake me. Do not utterly forsake me. Want to be happy is our subject title this morning. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 here. Go go to the next slide over. Brother Arnold, read verse 1 and 2 for us. Verse 1 and 2. All right. Happy are those whose way is blameless. The Bible says, happy are those whose way is blameless. Who walk in the law of the Lord. Who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees. Happy are those who keep his decrees. Who seek him with their whole heart. Who seek him with their whole heart. I want you to understand. First thing that I need you to understand is, is that this happiness is not the same as the happiness that you and I are familiar with. Now, some of us in here are using different versions of the Bible. The Bible will say, blessed, right? It will say blessed. But I want you to understand that the Hebrew word that we usually see for blessed is not the same as what you see here. Understand that the Hebrew word that we usually see for somebody who this, uh, transports a blessing from themselves onto someone else is Barak, right? Not that president that we love, right? But Barak is not this word that's used here. 
the word that is used here is ashar. And what this word means is to have good fortune, to be happy, or to be in a favorable disposition. Now, understand that the psalmist writes this here to describe a way of life that God intended for us to have. Think about this for a moment. Think back to the Garden of Eden. Are we familiar with that? I know we don't go over that a lot. The little kids love those stories. But in the Garden of Eden, God, he creates the whole world. He has created man. He has created animals. He has created the vegetation that exists in the garden. And God looks at everything and he says that it is. Come on now. We know. I know y'all read the Bible. It is. And he looks at all these things that are good. And then God says, I want you to have dominion over every created thing. And God didn't intend for us to have to work for us to eat. God did not intend for women to feel pain during childbirth. God did not intend for us to live on this earth and to live with him and then cease to be. God wanted us to live forever. And so as you look at this and you think about happiness today, I want you to understand that happiness is being and living the life that God originally intended for us to live. He didn't intend for us to feel a sense of needing something. He didn't intend for us to have to work hard for what we needed. He didn't intend for us to live without him. And what the psalmist is saying here is that this state of happiness, this sort of life is lived if we do these things in verses 1 and 2. Now, again, let's look at verse number 1 again. Verse number 1, what does it say there, Brother Arnold, for us? Happy. Happy. Are those whose way is blameless. Happy are those whose word, whose what? Way. Whose way, way blameless. is blameless. And I want you to understand that as we get forward here, that this, that the psalmist is going to use words that seem like they're something, but are actually something else. This isn't talking about directions towards something. This is talking about your way of life. Okay. He says, happy Remember what happy is. Happy are those whose way is blameless. Blameless here does not mean perfection. Blameless here does not mean perfection. What the word blameless means is, is that somebody can't look at your life and say that you are not, uh, that you are not righteous. That you aren't doing what you're supposed to do. Amen. Do y'all remember Dennis the Menace? Y'all remember that Dennis the Menace? It was a little comic strip. I know that's whenever I seen it. It was a comic strip in the newspaper. And Dennis the Menace was a bad kid. And he would go over to Mr. Wilson's house and cause all kinds of trouble. And Dennis would go and he would do things. And when Mr. Wilson would see him, Mr. Wilson knew trouble was coming. He had a bad reputation. And I want you to understand that if your life is blameless then people will not be able to look at you before you've done anything and say that person is bad. Amen? So he says here, happy are those whose way is blameless. The things that you do, people can look at and say, I know that person is righteous. They are perfect, but they're righteous. The Bible also reads, it says, who walk? Happy are also those who walk in the law of the law. In the law of the law. Of the Lord. Now, I want you to understand here that when he says the law of the Lord, it's not the same as the laws that we see. What's the speed limit on Avenue G here? 30. 30. See, Sister Roe was speeding. <laughs> there is a law on these streets that we have to follow. 
right? But I want you to understand that when the Bible says law here, it's not talking about, it's not describing this. This Hebrew word here is Torah, or where we get the English word Torah from. And what it is more akin to is instruction. Instruction. Do you remember learning how to tie your shoe? You get the shoestrings, you cross them, the bunny goes under the bridge, you make the bunny ears, you pull it, right? Shoe tied. Those are instructions. And see, what God has done is, he says, I know that you're living on this earth. I know that you're going to be men. I know that you're going to be women. I know that you're going to be husbands and wives and children and workers and bosses and employees. And what God does is, he says, I'm not going to put you here and not give you instructions on how to live. And so God has blessed us with instructions, and it says that the person who follows the way and the walk and the instruction of God is happy. That's external, right? Verse number two, what does the Bible say here? Happy are those who keep his decrees. It says happy are those who keeps his decrees. And I want you to see as we look through these verses here that the psalmist is going to continue to speak about God's words using different words. He says happy are those who keep his decrees. And what does the Bible say? Who seek him with their whole heart. Who seek him with their whole hearts. I want you to understand that me and God have something in common. We don't like fractions. God isn't seeking half of your heart. God isn't seeking a quarter of your commitment. Amen. What God seeks is your whole heart. You can't ask for a whole blessing and only give God half of yourself. Amen. He says, happy are those who seek after God with their whole hearts. We have to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, are we giving God our whole hearts? Are we only holy when we're in trouble? That's a question that we got to ask ourselves because I've been, in that, I've been in that phase before to where I'm good with God as long as he is quote unquote good to me. As long as I have blessings, I'm holy. When things start getting hard, I'm going to make up my own ways to feel happiness. I've been there before. But it says that if you want to experience this true happiness, you got to be with him wholeheartedly. And that means being with him even when you think he's not with you. As you look at verse 1 and 2 again, I want you to notice that verse 1 talks about things that happen externally when we obey God. And verse number two talks about things that happen internally, the inner man, what happens upstairs when we are obedient to God. We experience this happiness, and God's word is able to keep the outside and the inside good. This happy disposition will happen if we have absolute commitment to God. So absolute commitment to God, and we'll see that here on the screen in a moment. Absolute commitment to God. Take this down if you're taking notes. Absolute commitment to God equals right actions and mind. If you are absolutely committed to God, your actions, the things that you do from day to day, they're going to be righteous and you'll be found blameless. 
If you are absolutely committed to God's word in his way, your heart will be right. You won't experience that troubledness that you feel. And some of us came in here this morning with troubled hearts. And I want you to understand that God's way is the only way that you can have peace. Because a lot of us in here have troubled hearts. A lot of us in here can't go to sleep at night because we can't figure out why we keep doing the same old things that we keep on doing. And I'm telling you from experience that I didn't figure it out. Paul didn't figure it out. King David didn't figure it out. The only one that's got this thing figured out is God. Absolute commitment to God equals right actions and mind. Psalms 119, verse number three. Brother Arnold, read that. Who also do no wrong. Who also do no wrong. But walk in his way. But walk in his way. Ways. I want you to understand for a moment, as the psalmist write in the Hebrew literature, when you look at the Bible in the original language, the Bible tells you how to read it. Listen to this. You ever listen to some poetry and they're going on, spoken word, and they're going on, they're saying some good stuff, and then they pause, and then all of a sudden people start. Y'all seen that before? Because he just said something that was powerful, right? He just said something that's powerful. And the Hebrew language has a marker underneath the letters that says, stop here, think about what was just said. In verse number three in the Hebrew, it literally says, also, they don't engage in wrong. He said what happy people does in verse one and two. And then verse number three, he says, happy people don't engage in wrong. And he wants you to pause and think about it for a minute. He wants you to pause and think about it for a minute. I remember whenever I was young, coming up in the church, and I was a little boy, and I was tasked with reading Scripture. And when I would read Scripture, I was nervous, and so I would open up my Bible, and I would read really quick and close it and go. And what happens is when you do that, sometimes what's meant to be said isn't what's said. And so what Brother Dupree told me was, he said, Chris, there are punctuations in a sentence for a reason. You see a comma, you pause. You see a period in the sentence, you pause. So you don't connect something with something that's not supposed to be connected. That's what the Hebrew writer is doing here. He says in verse 3, literally, also happy people don't do what's wrong. And the question that we have to ask ourselves, how many of us have no problem with performing unjust or wrong actions. When we really think about it for a moment, how many of us have no problems at all with performing wrong actions? Think about that. Think about whenever you leave worship and then you go home and then you're licking down that swisher suite. Some of us know what I'm talking about. Think about... Whenever you love everybody in the building and you're hugging every member in the church house and then you get in the car and you cuss out your husband and your wife. Think about singing those beautiful songs of praises to God and then you go home and you talk about how ugly that sister dress was. Happy people don't do that. Happy people don't do that. They walk in God's ways. 
And what we'll get from verse number three is, is that my ways are not God's ways. I must walk right. I must walk right. My ways are not God's ways. God doesn't think the way that a human being does. I must walk as God wants me to walk if I want to experience this happiness. Verse number four. Oh, sorry, verse number, uh, go, verse number four. You have commanded your precepts. You have commanded your precepts. To be kept diligently. To be kept diligently. Verse number five. Oh, that thy ways may be steadfast. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast. In keeping your statutes. In keeping your statutes. I want you to understand that while he's going here and throwing shade, because right about now, everybody might be thinking about themselves saying, dang, I didn't come here to be feel, to be feeling bad. I didn't come here so I could have fingers pointed at me. What the psalmist says here in verse number five here, he says, I wish that I was steadfast. I wish that I always kept the ways of God. What he's saying is, is that I know how it feels to not do right. Just like each and every one of us in here knows what it's like to sin. Knows what it's like to be stuck in that same old cycle of doing the thing that you feel shame for the very next day. Waking up and asking yourself, why did I just do what I did? Thinking in the next 10 minutes, why did I just do this thing that I know is wrong? Why can't I stop? Am I the only one? I might be the only one. But I've been in that that funk where I've sat there and thought to myself, why am I doing this thing? I know that I'm wrong. And I know that if I died in the state that I am currently in, be with God. And he's saying, I wish that I can be consistent in keeping the ways of God. Because I want to let you know that when you make a commitment to follow God, it's not going to be perfect. And what the enemy wants to plant in your mind is a seed of doubt. And every time you mess up, he's bringing somebody along that he already has on his side and he's telling them to tell you that you're not good enough. And that you can't make it back. And that you can't live with God forever. And I want you to know it's a lie. He says, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Verse number six, he says, then then I shall not be put to shame. If I was steadfast in keeping the ways when I saw your word, I wouldn't feel shame when I sat down and I came to worship and I heard a song against the very thing that I did the day before. I wouldn't feel shame when I opened up my Bible app and I started to read the scripture and I saw myself in it. I wouldn't feel that shame if I was obedient to it. If I was looking at God's commandments and his ways, if I was steadfast in obeying them, not just knowing them, because we got a good, we got a good habit of doing that, don't we, Brother Ro? When, whenever we, when we start to follow God and we say, you know what, I figured it all out. And now since I figured it out, I'm going to tell everybody else why they're wrong. And I'm going to stop looking at me. I'm going to break this mirror. And what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to get a camcorder to record everybody else's sin. Ain't that what we do? I've done it. What happens is, when we break that mirror, stop looking at ourselves, and we start recording everybody else's sin, we become some ugly beings. Inside and outside. Yes, 
This psalmist says, I wish that I could be consistent in following the commands of God. This is good for us because in reading these words, we understand that we are not alone in our failure. This is an interjection. He says, I wish that I was more consistent. He uses these words throughout the psalm. He says, law. He talks about uh, decrees, which is an, an order that has force. He talks about precepts. He talks about statutes, which is a prescription. And how many of us, when we pay the money to go to the doctor and he gives us a prescription, we don't take it. Raise your hand if you get medicine from the doctor and you don't take it. You refuse to take it. Listen. Yeah, if I pay for it, I'm taking it. <laughs> Those doctors went to school for a long time to be able to understand the human body. So when they, t- when they tell me, Chris, you're morbidly obese. You might need to exercise. I need to take their word as being some type of truth, even though it hurts sometimes. My doctor, he won't, he won't, he won't, he won't, he won't stop, or he won't, he won't hesitate to let me know that I'm overweight. And I appreciate that. That's why I keep him. Sometimes God will tell us to do some things that will hurt our feelings. They'll cause us to say, do you really love me if you don't want me to do what I love to do? But I want you to understand that God doesn't just study the human. He created the human. And he doesn't have to guess at what makes us tick. He knows exactly what we need to live true, happy lives. Amen? The psalmist is saying here, I want to do what you want me to do, but sometimes I know and I still don't. The psalmist understood that if they could just do better, then they wouldn't feel shame when they looked at commandments. I want you to see this illustration here. There is a man who really felt guilt as a real emotion. Sometimes it is more than we can bear, and we have to do something about it. In 1941, A 10-year-old boy and his friend realized they didn't have enough money to pay for their meal at the Lamb's Grill in downtown Salt Lake City. And so they ate the meal and they ran away. The bill was $1. Don't you judge, because that was a lot of money back then, from what I hear. Y'all ask these older members later, a dollar was a lot of money. So in 2014, this man who was the boy who stole the meal, his daughter went back to Lamb's Grill and, he gave, and she gave the server $5 to cover the 73-year-old check. Her father was too embarrassed to go in, and he waited in the car outside. While a $5 restitution is not very much, one can only imagine the relief from guilt the elderly man has experienced. We can often let guilt and shame to cause us to take our eyes off God's word, to stay away from those who we see as holy, Or we may even believe that God is incapable of forgiving and loving us. But I want you to know and understand this simple thing. Everyone makes mistakes. Keep hope alive. Everybody makes mistakes. 
Everybody feels those emotions where you go and you're a member of a church and you know that you did wrong the week before, the day before, and you don't feel holy enough to walk in, let alone take communion. Everybody's going to experience that at some point. But I want you to understand that if you get off the horse, you can't make it in with God. Stay on that horse. Keep riding. Keep pressing on. Verse number seven. What does the Bible say there? I will praise you with an upright heart. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous ordinances. When I learn your righteous ordinances. Understand here. Look at the psalm. The whole time he's been talking about what everybody else needs to do. Then he talks about what he himself needs to do. And now his focus has changed. Now he's talking to God. And I want you to understand that if you want to live true, happy lives, that you have to look at what God is doing. Don't worry about what other people are doing. At some point in time, you need to have a conversation with God. And what he does is he says, I will praise you. And that's future tense. And what he's saying is, is that even though I'm not in the place where I want to be right now, when I get there, I'm going to give God praise. And some of us need to have some future, some forward looking attitudes about what we're doing. I know that I'm not where I want to be. I know that I may not be doing currently the things that I want to be doing in God. But I know that one day God is going to bring me to a place where I can be that holy person. So where I can set the right example. So where I can know for a fact that I'm his child and I'm going to be in heaven one day. And when that day comes, I will give him praise. But currently, I'm going to keep on pressing. I'm going to keep on pressing on so I can have that happiness. Someone said, we ought to have joy instead of happiness. And this this joy is what is more relative to this happiness that the Bible is talking about here. Because the happiness that we have means that you have to have something good happening. I can have joy when I have nothing. I can have joy when my life is turned all upside down. I can have joy when all my friends have left me and I'm by myself. Because I know that if I have joy and I have God, then I'm working with something. He says, I will praise you with an upright heart. When my heart gets right, I'm going to praise you. And I'm going to keep pressing on until I get there. He says, when I learn, he's made a commitment. When I learn your righteous ordinances, what I want you to see here, noticing there are two things present in verse number seven. He has a goal. He has a goal in mind. And a lot of us have goals. A lot of us have lofty goals. Some of us want to be entrepreneurs. Some of us want to be rappers. Give it up if you're past 30. But understand, (laughs) he used to be a rapper. Understand that if you have a goal, then you need to have something else with it. You need to have a plan. You need to have a plan. Do you want to be what God wants you to be? That should be your goal. His plan is not his own plan. He doesn't say, I'm going to figure this out by myself and then come to God. He says, I'm going to come to God and figure this thing out. 
Verse number eight, he says again, I will observe what? Your statutes. He says again, I will observe your statutes. And he uses the same word again that points to a prescription. And what a prescription does is, is it says that you need to do this so that you don't end up this way. And God is pointing to certain things in your life saying, if you keep these actions up, you're going to end up being without me. If you keep these actions up, you're going to face eternal damnation. If you keep these actions up, you won't experience happiness here and now. Because I want you to know that being a child of God is not simply about having happiness on tomorrow, but having happiness today. God has rescued us today. Salvation isn't about the eternity that is to come. It's about the rescue that happens today. And some of us are trapped in ourselves right now. And God has freedom for us. I will observe your statutes. I will observe your statutes. He says, I will. Again, he's pointing towards the future. I will keep. Your prescriptions, God, I will keep your prescriptions. And then he puts the marker there in the Hebrew text again where he says, pause after this. We got to keep telling ourselves, even when we mess up, I'm going to keep it. Even when we do wrong, I'm going to be obedient next time. Even when we miss the mark, God, I'm going to do better next time. And he's telling us as we read this to pause. Think about what he's saying. Think about what God can do. And after you pause, he says, what? Do not utterly forsake me. He said, God, while I'm here trying to get this thing together, please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. He says, I'm trying my best. I'm doing everything that I can. Just stick with me while I try to get it right. Here he makes a commitment to God. He makes a commitment that I will observe and I will comply to what you prescribe. Just don't leave me. We read about in the Old Testament how in the old law, they would put the word of God literally on their forehead. They would write it on the doorpost so that when they left the house, they would see it. It would be on their mind as they entered the world. And I have to ask you for a moment, when you are leaving your home that is full of peace and full of love and you're heading out to a world of chaos, are you taking the word of God with you? Are you observing the word of God? And not just observing it, because we will observe the word of God, but then when things get really hard and someone makes you mad, you put down your religion and say, I'll be a Christian after I finish reading them. Says God, I will both observe and keep this prescription that you have set. Don't leave me. And what I want you to get from this is nothing, nothing. And I want you to understand this. Think about this. There is absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God. That person who has a lot of power, they can't separate you from the love of God. That mistake that you made that you can't forgive yourself for, it can't separate you from the love of God. And some of us have some deep hurts in our lives that we have carried around for years saying, God can't forgive me for that. What I want you to think about this, the man who wrote the majority of the New Testament was a murderer. God can forgive the fact that you disrespected your parents. God can forgive the fact that you used to deal and sell drugs and use drugs and and, and engage in all types and types of fornication and orgies. God can forgive that. If he can take a murderer and make him a great fisher of men, what can he do with you? 
Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not people's perceptions, not people's ideas, not that preacher that kicked you out of church 10 years ago in a church that don't belong to him. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. In conclusion, I want you to focus on this. If you're taking notes, you probably saw it already, but I want you to see this. First, absolute commitment to God equals right actions and mind. Second, my ways are not God's ways. I must walk right. Third, everyone makes mistakes. Keep hope alive. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Amen. Amen. Know that when you say the word amen, what you're saying is let it be. Let it be so. Everything that we see in Psalm 119, 1 through 8 is the truth. If you want to experience true happiness, it can only be found by walking with God, observing and obeying his ways. I want you to understand that if you are not a Christian, if you want to rededicate your life to Christ, I want you to understand that God loves you. God wrote a love story, literally wrote a love story to you from Genesis to Revelation. And he says, I want you to hear this word that I've given to you. It's for you. And isn't God great in that way that he writes something directly to you, yet it's for everyone? He says, hear this word that I wrote to you. He says, I loved you so much that I was willing to give up what I loved. And he sent Jesus here in the form of a man. And he said, Jesus, I want you to go down and I want you to live on this earth as a human being. I want you to feel those emotions they feel. I want you to feel the pain that they feel. I want you to feel the loneliness and the rejection that they feel. And then I want you to be perfect and I want you to die for the sake of their sins. So that they could be in relationship with me again. Jesus obeyed. He died on the cross. And then he says, Jesus says before he goes back up to heaven, he says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to be within you. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm leaving here in a physical state, but I want you to understand that my spirit is now going to live within you. You don't have to go to a temple to see and be a part of the spirit. The spirit will now live within you. And he says, I want you to believe this thing. I want you to repent of your sins. Repentance means a change of heart. I want you to think about the things that you've done wrong. Think about the way that you're living. And then I want you to change how you feel about it. Because that's the only way that your actions are going to be changed. You, you, you can't just get up and say, okay, I'm just not going to do this without having it going on up here. Repentance involves a change of heart that leads to a change of action. You must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Yes, sir. Confessing that in this time, in the Bible time, in the New Testament times, meant that you were sure to be put to death. Now, when you confess Jesus as the Son of God, you die a spiritual death. That means the old you is no longer who you wish to be. Then you must be baptized. And what baptism is, it is literally an immersion in water. It is a burial, much the same as Jesus was buried in the tomb. Jesus was put into a rock-hewn tomb. Put inside, he was laid down, and before the sun came up, he rose and he was something new. 
We go down into watery grave of baptism as our old selves. Once we go down into the water, we connect with the blood of Jesus, and then it begins to have spiritual surgery on us. And it takes the sins that we have done in our past, and it washes them away. And that means that God no longer sees who you used to be, what you used to do. When you come up, you're new. You're new. And that means that God no longer holds you accountable for what you did. People may remember. Your spouse may remember. Shoot, your kids may remember. Kids remember everything. But God no longer holds you accountable. And you begin your walk towards eternity. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who is there to comfort you, who is there to teach you as you head towards an eternity in heaven. I want you to understand also if you're a Christian, Hello, thank you for listening to the Avenue GCLC podcast. My name is Christopher Stevens and I'm the minister at the Avenue G Church of Christ, where we are people of more. We hope that you enjoy and have enjoyed listening to this podcast, where you can find sermons, congregational singing, and talk shows with myself and youth minister Joshua Williams. We pray that the content is a blessing to you, and we hope that everyone listening can join us in person for worship and Bible class. We are located at 601 West Avenue G, Temple, Texas, 76504. And don't forget to visit us online at avegcoc.org. From the people of war to you, thank you and God bless.